Welcome to the Tin Lounge. You've stumbled on one of our short episodes called The Mini Bar, where we discuss current events in the travel industry. I'm Teresa, owner of Get Out Custom Travels and creator of Fam with Intention. And I'm Corrine, creator of Travel Biz Boss and co-owner of Journeys Travel Company. We can't discuss all of the headlines, so stay with us until the end for excess baggage. Are you finding that your new trip bookings are kind of slowing down now? I know typically this is a time of year where things do slow down a little, where we can take a breath. What are what are you seeing? Yeah, I posted last week about ways to maximize your slower season, and people were like, "What slow season?" Uh, which I mean, I would say I'm slowing down because I'm turning things away or passing them on, and it's not as crazy as it has been. So. Um, Yes. And I'm looking forward to slowing down even more because I'm tired. Yeah. Same. I feel like I am. Well, I did close my calendar like I did last year because I feel like that was really, really great for me to just work on clients who were either currently traveling, like work on the deliverables versus having to be so spread out with booking new trips and helping existing clients. So I'm definitely feeling that too, uh, gratefully, but I feel like during this time, um, and I'll get your thoughts on this. I love this time of year because I'm able to kind of step back and then look at the business to see where I want to go within the next, within the rest of the year for next year, kind of strategize a little bit about what I want to do with the agency, how to grow it. Um, and also to implement lessons that I've learned during like the crazy wave season. So things like, oh, let me just update all my templates. Let me um, check on uh, my workflows, make sure they're up to date. Let me look at my system. So things like that. And so I really love being able to get into that part of the business. What are you doing during this time of year? Oh, I'm just filling my plate right back up. We are onboarding eight or nine new advisors to our team. So we are hyper-focused on growth for the rest of this year, which I'm very excited about. I intend to continue scaling back on my sales so that I can make room to really develop the advisors on our team. That's what's just really motivating me right now. We never had like a cohort of people coming on and I feel like that I'm going to prefer that. I would rather train a bunch of people at once. They also have mm-hmm. each other. They're all going through the same experience together. And I feel like it's the best way to do it rather than having people trick in one, trickle in one or two at a time. So I'm excited mm-hmm. about Love that. Well, before we jump into our discussion this week, we want to give a shout out to our podcast network, Trav Market Media. Head on over to travmarketmedia.com where you can find other amazing podcasts to grow and build your business. First on our list is an article from Travel Market Report on maximizing artificial intelligence for travel advisors, five tips for success. Now, this article is really meaty, really detailed. So as we are going through it, we're just going to touch on the highlights. And if you want to read it more in depth, head to our show notes and click on the link and you can read about these examples in more detail. So a lot of what we've seen about AI is that, you know, people say, oh, AI is great at planning travel and, you know, advisors are going to be replaced. That's not true. But what we can do is that we can use AI to help us as travel advisors with different tasks. So some of the things this article says can help with is 
writing an advisor biography. If you are trying to work on the copywriting for your website, you're a speaker at an event, this can help you write your bio, can help you write Facebook posts or even entire blogs. But the important thing is how you approach AI. You have to ask it the right questions. You have to input the right words in order for it to spit out what you want. So first tip is to use a persona prompt. So you have to let AI know like what voice should they be writing in for this particular blog? Do you want this blogger to be speaking from a casual kind of tone or do you want to be from like a professorial expert? So you need to let AI know how they should be speaking. Yeah, it can even be something like explain this like I'm a fifth grader if you really want things to be pared down. I wanted to add to um, what you were saying about everyone talking about AI planning travel. There's a meme going around that I saw today that's like, in order for AI to help clients plan travel, they will have to clearly articulate their desires and um, expectations or something like that. Like they'll have to really tell it exactly mm-hmm. what they want. We're safe because <laughs> we are the translators of all of the missions. Exactly. That we get. Yeah, exactly. One quick example of choosing a persona or letting your AI know what persona to take on is um, you have to let it know you are a lawyer specializing in writing legal documents. Please write a document for a travel agency advising clients to take out travel insurance and absolving the agency and its advisors of any responsibility for money's lost. The client decides not to take insurance. And one interesting thing that this article <laughs> shares is that it's important to use the word please. Because the way that AI learns is if you are polite and courteous towards it, that's how it will be speaking to you. But if you don't use please, it'll learn from that and respond to you in a more rude way, which I thought was super interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't help it either. Even when I, uh, we don't have an Alexa now, but when we used to, I was just felt compelled to say please when I would ask her for something. (laughs) Um, Number two is flip the prompt. It says artificial intelligence has three ways of knowing information. First, it can pull from its library, which includes all of the information it was given in its early years. This information is only up to date as of November 2021, and even then does not include the entirety of the internet. This is important because if you're asking for something like restaurant recommendations, you don't want them from before November 2021. Second, depending on the AI that you're using, it can search the internet for information. However, it will not search the entire internet. It will do a search and stop at the first few pages that it feels have given all of the information it thinks it's need, it needs to know. And third, you can tell it the information it needs. And the third one is particularly important for things like writing a biography for you or writing a blog that includes your thoughts and observations. One of the examples they use is they told it, you are a travel writer that specializes in writing short blogs. I want you to write a short blog for me about my stay at the Gaylord Resort and Convention Center in Nashville. Ask me questions about my stay so you will have enough information to write a three-paragraph blog. Ask all the questions at once, numbered, and I will respond with numbered answers. Then write the blog. So the questions it asked is, when did you stay and for how long? What did you enjoy most about the amenities and services? What did you do outside the resort in Nashville and how was your experience? And how would you rate your overall satisfaction with the resort and would you recommend it to others? So 
you'll learn over time how to add more context, ask, like keep refining the answers that you get, but don't be afraid to tell it, to ask you questions so that it can get all the information it needs if you're having it right from your perspective. The third tip is in context learning prompts. So similar to you giving AI information, it can also learn from examples that you provide it. So if you see a biography that you love, you can cut and paste it and ask the AI to emulate that writing when it writes your bio, or you can copy and paste examples of your own writing and ask it to write in your voice. Um, so this article says, it's like to be clear, there will be no plagiarizing. It just emulates the style. So one thing to remember is that you can't provide anything that's too long um, because there is too much information for AI to hold a conversation. Yeah. Yep. Number four is iterate and edit. So the first version of what you've asked AI to write for you will rarely be the version you use. A first version may be too generic or maybe it's missing information you really wanted. When asking for a rewrite, be sure to tell the AI what you want to be different. Just like us, when we send a proposal over and the client says, no, I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> can you be a little more specific? <laughs> um, yes, exactly. If, you, if there's something you really want to keep, tell it that too. For instance, you can say, please rewrite using a more casual tone of voice, or please rewrite to focus on my expertise with luxury cruising. And it re <laughs> um, revisits, always be polite and say please. <laughs> One of the things under this point is that uh, you really need to read what AI has generated because it can make up facts. So for example, um, in this article, it says it has AI write a biography and it made up the fact that this particular person has a son. And so this person does not have a son. Um, so the rewrite prompt could be, please rewrite to have a more casual tone of voice and leave out the piece about having a son. So make sure you read through the details because you might end up with a child you don't have. Yep. And last on the list is to ask AI to rephrase your prompt in a shorter version. So if you think you'll need to use a similar prompt, including iteration prompts for a future project, ask the AI to rephrase all your previous prompts into one shorter version. This can save you time in the long run and cuts down on the chance of bumping up against the AI's memory limitations. So one of the prompts could be, please restate all of my previous prompts into a shorter, into a single shorter prompt that is clear and will produce the same quality output. Yeah, don't be afraid to ask it what it needs. It's really incredible how much it will help you. Mm -hmm. All right, our next article is from Travel Weekly and this is Jamie Beseda and she wrote an article called Find the Right Client with Four Questions. As a travel advisor, how do you ensure travel or ensure clients are the right fit for you and your business model? There are four questions you can ask yourself that will definitely get you on the right track, according to Tony McClellan, Brownell's Director of Hosting Development. The first question, is there enough time to plan the trip? I don't know about you, Corrine. I'm sure you've gotten these where... I'm in a hellscape it, right now, okay? I'm in a hellscape <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> where it's like, oh, there's less than a month before I'm, I want to go on this trip. I already bought the flights. You know, I want you to help with the the details of, of this trip. And so as we know this year, last minute trips have been such a pain to work with because of availability, pricing. And I think for cruises and things like that, it might be a little bit different. But for custom itineraries, um, it is 
insane. And so if you are not in a place where you want to take a last minute trip from a client, ask yourself, is there enough time to plan a trip? Is there enough time to plan a trip in a way that will make you feel at peace, will not make you stressed out? Things like that. So that's a question. Or for your reputation because you slapped it together and it's sloppy. Or for your reputation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you can set the number of days based on what works for you. So for me, it's dependent. Like if it's like a really high budget, they're very decisive. If it's within two weeks, I might take it. But if I can see they're wishy-washy, their budget's not really what I want to be working with, I might have a longer lead time that's required to work with my my agency. And go with your gut. I'm helping a friend of a friend right now. Thankfully, the money's good. So it's really all worth it in the end. But she wanted a cruise. No problem. I can do a cruise in four minutes with my eyes closed. But now it's pre-imposed and I can't, you know, and what about some tours and I can't open the links you sent me and can you just do this and can you just do that? And, you know, it's just spiraling. And if I had followed mm-hmm. my gut, I'd be happy as a clam right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the second question is, is the budget high enough to be able to deliver an exceptional experience? If you don't work with a client who has a budget that, especially for the luxury travel advisor, allows you to plan exclusive experiences tailored to your needs, then the advisor is not going to get the referrals they want, McClellan said. Working with the right budget ensures you can craft those surprise and delight moments that really impress clients. So for somebody like me who sells a ton of cruises and all-inclusive, it's really, is the budget high enough to be worth my time, not you know, mm-hmm. we don't, it's not as detailed. We don't have to worry about like these really high touch experiences. This one's a little bit easier for those of us that sell the old basic B travel. <laughs> I will say for those who do the more custom itineraries, when you experience a trip with an amazing budget and the ease of planning that and the level of satisfaction that comes from clients who go on these kinds of trips, it's so difficult to be able to work with budgets that you know will not provide that same experience because you want things to be as easy as it was with a higher budget. And I just had a couple clients go to Portugal and Spain and they had an amazing budget. Like everything was like, yes, yes, this sounds great. We love this. And when I tell you they had the most amazing time and when there was like an emergency where um, we had to make a quick change the DMC I worked with was so responsive and I was able to work with the DMC because they had a budget high enough for me to work with partners in destination who can help me make some last minute changes. And it was just so seamless. And, you know, I'm thinking back on budgets that were a little bit lower where it could, it was a bit more of a headache to be able to provide that. Yeah. And the clients who have higher budgets will refer other clients to you and, more often than not, the expectations of these referrals is that you will work with higher budgets. And yeah. so, you know, it's a, it's a lovely snowball effect yeah. with, <laughs> with when that's, um, when that's taken into consideration. Definitely. The third question is, will these clients be easy to work with and respectful of you and your time? McClellan has heard of clients who phone their advisor day or night. And while advisors are professionals, they shouldn't have to work 24 hours a day. She said, it's important that clients understand and respect that. And I make that clear now. 
Whereas before, when I thought I made it clear, it was not clear. And so I had to look back, which I did within the past few weeks, now that I can step back a little bit. I'm like, where is there a disconnect between the expectations and what my boundaries are? And I'm filling in those blanks right now because we are not on, we are not doctors. Like I didn't sign up to be on call to go to the ER. Okay. At like odds, odd hours of the night. So I make it clear to clients now that this is how we work. And these are our working hours, unless there is an emergency. So once again, going back to listening to your gut, when you're doing a discovery call with clients, what kind of vibe are they giving you? Do they feel like they're going to be real? Like, listen, this gut is semi lactose intolerant, but it serves me well when it comes to, (laughs) when it comes to reading clients for the most part. Yeah, I, um, well, I was just on a fam trip on Scenic with a bunch of advisors who were all like top producers, the TPI. And when I said, I don't answer my phone, the jaws hit the table. Like, I'm like, no, they need to leave a message and I'll call them back so I can prepare for the call and God help them if they don't tell me what they're calling about so that I can prepare for said call. Um, we train our clients, right? So I had one client and she, she just wanted to call me 10 times a day and wanted me to just be like a call center able to pick up. And her especially, I was like, nope, I'm not answering and let her get the hang. And my voicemail says the best way to reach me is email, you know? And I could tell she just kept at it. I was like, oh yeah, she's not going to be respectful of my boundaries. And this is like um, a relative of one of my longest clients. So like, I felt like I couldn't just tell her to pound sand, but, uh, you know, you can tell you have to pick up on the signals and it's up to you to train the client. And she gets it now. Like she emails me now because mm-hmm. I just let her call 10 times a day and never picked up the phone. And then I would email her back. It's up to you to train your clients on these boundaries. And I promise you that being available 24 seven does not foster respect. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. Um, the next one is the fourth and final question is, are they comfortable with your planning fee and understand the value that you bring? And she said, this is this question is geared toward new clients, which is true. So long as an advisor has done a good job communicating their value to such clients, if they still don't see the point of a planning fee, that's a good sign to walk away. She encourages advisors to have some questions prepared for discovery calls with prospective clients. The main goal should be finding out what is motivating them to travel. Oh, gently. Over the, and over the course of the conversation, they can answer the above questions for themselves and determine if it's a good fit. Everybody is in business, sure, to make money, she said. But also there's a component of we got in this business because we love travel and we love helping people. And if you can answer these questions in the negative, I don't think you can. Good stuff. Last article is from our good friend, Kate Thomas, and she is a contributing writer to Travel Age West. And it kind of ties into our last article, six boundaries that will help ease travel agent burnout. So a lot of travel advisors, we may be people pleasers, guilty, recovering people pleasers, Mm -hmm. at least from my perspective. And what, what I found, and I think we talked about this too, Karina, is that when we are 
constantly available to our clients 24 hours a day, we get burnout because we have not set those boundaries to give us the time to be able to de-stress, relax, and live our lives. Like we're not living our lives to answer phone calls about the beverage packages available on Royal Caribbean. Like you have probably sent them a link that takes them to particular information page. Sure have. It's right in the template. Yes. <laughs> yep, exactly. And so because I know it's in the template, that also means that when someone asks me that, I'm like, please refer back to the message that they sent you. Per my email. That's what we say in our heads. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so Kate has laid out six boundaries that will help us deal with burnout or avoid burnout altogether. So um, she writes, this season has brought us all the struggles of staff shortages, rising rates, and low availability, not to mention client requests that match the conditions of 2019, but are not at all possible in 2023. How do we protect our sanity in the madness? Her very first boundary is to charge fees. Charging fees is the easiest way to create a clear boundary between prospective leads and clients. By charging a fee, you are putting up a paywall to work with you, allowing you to protect your time and put a monetary value on your expertise. It also creates value perception for potential clients. Mm-hmm. And this example she gives, I really I love, love it. Yep. If you give a client two glasses of the same wine and tell him that one is a $5 glass and the other is a $45 glass, he will likely rate the $45 glass as better when asked. That's value perception. Be the $45 glass of wine. Love it. Um, So she says, make sure to check with your host to get their policies on fees. And then it's simply a matter of deciding the amount, picking a method to charge, and communicating your new fee. Put it on your website, your intake form, um, letting, you know, reiterating it again on your consultation call, and then letting them know that you'll be sending an invoice for the planning fee. And once paid, you can get started. Love it. Boundary number two is eliminate last minute bookings. So she says, if your workload is too intense, set a boundary around last minute trips. It could be not taking trips on within 30 or 60 days of departure, whatever feels good to you. One of um, my team members who does all custom work, it's 90 days for her. She's just not willing to deal with the extra stress. Um, She says to implement that, add a sentence to your intake form and perhaps even add an announcement bar on your website. I know in the Masters in Travel group that we're a part of, Beth, um, one of the members, she said that she is okay with taking last minute requests. Uh, She has really weeded out the lower budget clients to make room for last minute requests. And she says a lot of times um, the higher level execs of companies will reach out to her last minute. They have high budgets, are very decisive. So she has no problem with taking those on. And she's able to do that because she does not take on lower budget trips. Yeah, I agree. I have like the more money people have in my clientele, the more last minute, but they are decisive. They have a lot to spend. Sometimes, and if they drag their feet, they get it when I say it's not mm-hmm. available anymore, you know, but right. um, yeah. I feel like if I have a good partner in the destination and someone reaches out for it, and to me, I'm like, okay, I can see the itinerary already. Like, I don't think it's going to be too tough to actually put the details together. I let them know. I'm like, it's not impossible, but you need to have a high budget, a high price point to get us started. And you need to be decisive. And I just let them know, like, if we start out with this price point, 
it will open up a lot of options for us. And usually with that email, it'll dictate whether or not they want to move forward. Yeah. And the one last minute that I was talking about before that I'm doing now, Italy, my God, people in Italy right now. Um, I was like, she was telling me, you know, all the places they haven't been. I'm like Cinque Terre is out. Amalfi Coast is out. Like, so we're doing Lake Como and it's working out pretty okay. We've had to move a couple things because of availability, but not too bad. Mm -hmm. The third boundary is uh, to prevent scope creep. And Kate writes that scope creep is the sneakiest time thief. It manifests as too many rounds of revisions and more concierge services than you typically would provide. You know the clients, they're the ones, if you give an inch, they will take a mile. For scope creep, I recommend first running at the limits that work for you and your business. It could look like only providing a certain number of options or rounds of itinerary revisions before a consequence for your client, such as charging an additional fee. Once you have it set, you can put it on your website where you talk about fees and include it in your terms and conditions. Then make sure to communicate it to your client when they are approaching the limits. They know your services are not unlimited. I love it. Boundary number four, set a minimum budget. A minimum budget is a great way to save you and potential clients time up front. There's no reason for either party to spend time on a consultation call if the client's budget is not a match for your service. So I do not have a minimum budget per se. Uh, I have like in my head is what you're asking for a reasonable type of minimum budget. But Mm -hmm. um, I... For me, I want an inquiry form filled out before any type of phone call or consultation because I'm not, I don't have 15 minutes even to be on the phone with somebody if it's not, if it's not a good fit. I need that form first to make sure that you are a reasonable person. If I get, I want a safari for $2,000, I know we're going to be moving on from here. So mm-hmm. minimum budget or just fully qualifying, I think. Not, I mean, obviously you're going to qualify more on the consultation, but you know what I mean? Like get a good sense of what they want before you agree mm-hmm. to move forward to step two. She says to implement, start by mapping out the average budget needed for the types of trips you sell and then factor in how much you need to make per, per trip for it to be worthwhile to your business. Then set a minimum budget that satisfi- satisfies both of those things. Once it's set, add it to your intake form. Um, And what I've noticed for a lot of people that do this is the budget is typically a per day budget or a per person per day. Mm -hmm. I don't see a ton of people saying like an entire budget. Usually it's per day. I have seen Mm -hmm. the occasional person who's like uh, for Caribbean trips, you know, I'm working with $8,000 budget before air for a week. You know, it's good to be specific, but you don't want to make it confusing, Mm -hmm. I think. The next boundary is to limit contact. You are not obligated to hand out your personal cell phone number. There are lots of ways your client can reach you quickly while maintaining a boundary around your personal line. Itinerary apps often have a messaging feature. You can easily set up a separate number using a service such as Google Voice or try out another messaging app like Voxer. Doing this keeps your client communication in a different place so it bleeds into your life less. Another way to set a limit so that you are not available all the time is to have set business hours. Pick the hours that work for you and then communicate them in your email signature, voicemail, or with an autoresponder. If a client is not currently traveling, he or she can wait until your office hours for a response. And that was so hard to implement in the beginning, but I will say all in all, like the clients that I have now, 
it's okay if they send me something late at night because it could be like they're getting ready for bed or they just thought of something, but I am not responding to it until the next day when I get into the office. I also, you know, pick and choose if I respond on the weekends. Like if they're ready to give me money and I can apply deposit right away, I'm going to take their money on a Saturday morning if needed. Um, But if it's just like a random question or anything like that, that can wait. It's not an emergency. I have done a couple of travel joy setups for other travel advisors who have an emergency contact number and it says you will be charged a fee if you call it and it's not an actual emergency. Mm. Oh, yep. Yep. It makes Um, them think twice before calling. mm -hmm. (laughs) And boundary number six is cut back on excessive detailing. This last boundary is not as straightforward, but is one that most travel professionals could really use, which is cutting back on the excessive details. She's talking about the overly detailed proposals, unnecessary documents, and the 47 touch points in the name of client experience. She said, as an industry, we went from sparsely written itineraries that sold easily over a decade ago to the current trend of adding more detail anywhere possible in the process. This has been to our detriment. Now we have clients who would rather text us from the room than consult their itinerary for any question. We set ourselves up for too much handholding, and she and Heather Christopher have been talking about this forever. It's easy to see how it happened. Giving more information whenever possible has been a quick way to show value. It was always also a way to manage expectations to answer your clients every possible question before they have it. In creating customer experience where we are on top of every need, we also created a client base that viewed us as personal assistants instead of travel advisors. She said in conversations with members of the community, she hears stories like, I received a text message that their steak took too long the night before. My clients complained that their tour was hard to find because the office had the company name and not the name of the tour. A client texted asking for the link of the hotel spa while at the hotel. These are the types of interactions that make you wonder how exactly your clients survive in day-to-day life. (laughs) Teresa had a story like that recently. She was cracking me up. (laughs) So how do we find the balance between providing value over availability? Provide less. Evaluate where in your business you can do a little less and it will be a benefit to you and your clients. Then adjust and notice if it creates positive changes in your business. For example, what if... A brief itinerary description provided your clients with an easily digestible proposal that they could skim and send feedback on quickly. Fewer documents were given, which in turn saved clients the time of weeding through everything so they can find exactly what they need when they need it. And fewer concierge services were booked through you, meaning clients didn't have to reach out to you as an intermediary when they can get text reminders directly from the restaurant or activity. Explore what's best for you. She said she knows boundaries will help your business on an individual level. And then if we all implement them, it becomes the industry standard and our clients will know exactly what to expect when working with a travel professional. I am all about client experience. I definitely don't over detail. I use um, a lot of very simplified bullet pointed or checklists. I keep them short and sweet. Uh, And I I don't actually add all that stuff to their final docs either. But for people who do, I still recommend that they send it out as those little bits and chunks and emails. Because if you send someone a nine mile long final document, they are not reading it. So I try to keep it spread out, short, easy to digest. Um, And I think another thing that I know you do, Teresa, and a lot of people do is 
make sure those clients have their in-destination contact. Mm-hmm. That is one thing I make sure to emphasize is if you have an issue, this is the first number to call. Mm-hmm. Not mine. And because these people mine. are in the destination. <laughs> exactly. And I make that very clear. Um, it's funny because I, along with a, lo- a lot of other advisors, I mean, when Kate says it makes you wonder how they live day to day and survive yeah. their, their, their everyday lives, some of the questions that I get, I'm just like, well, when you are at home, like, what do you do? And like, for example, like one was like, how do I get cash? I'm like, there's a thing called ATM machines. I'm sure they have them in Chicago during that. That's the one I was I laughing mean. about. <laughs> oh man. I was just, so that part, and I had another one where, um, the client had asked me, you know, what's the weather going to be like in Italy when we go? And I'm like, oh my God, there's this thing that's amazing called Google. Mm -hmm. And you could literally put that in there and ask what the average weather is like, because we are like four weeks out from your trip. I don't know what the weather forecast is going to be, but in general, historically speaking, it's going to be this. Mm -hmm. How do you check weather in Florida? Please let me know because it's the same exact way you check weather in Italy. (laughs) Well, I will rant this to Gio. And the thing is, he will say things like, well, I think when they're working with a travel advisor, they just automatically think that you will answer those easy questions for them. Like that's part of the service. And I'm like, no, it is not. Mm-hmm. That is not the value that I provide. So that is also one of the little gaps that I'm trying to fill. And how do I make it clear that you can do this on your own? Yeah. Ooh. Looking for weather. Google so, that you know ish. Yeah. Yes. GTS. Okay. Are we ready for some excess baggage? Oh, yes. All right. It's time for excess baggage, which is a speed round of headlines that are pretty self-explanatory. So you can learn a lot in just a couple of minutes. According to Travel Market Report, U.S. State Department has updated Jamaica travel warning to level three. Another one from them says that ALG Vacations is celebrating Travel Advisor Appreciation Month with a new promotion that will award a dozen advisors with United Airlines tickets for two and stays in Hawaii, Aruba, Cancun, Dominican Republic, Jamaica, Las Vegas, Mallorca, and more, including private transfers or rental cars, personal excursions, and more. At the same time, ALG Vacations is offering social media kits and iPad giveaways to another 10 advisors as part of its Propel Your Growth giveaway. Travel Pulse reports that Villas of Distinction announced that its new Travel Advisor Bonus Commission will be paid upon deposit versus departure, and the earnings have been increased to up to $5,000. Travel advisors who booked their clients with Villas of Distinction through May 31st for travel between now and December 31st, 2024, can earn up to $5,000 in bonus commissions paid upon deposit. Another one from them says that tourism around the world continued its swift recovery to pre-pandemic levels during the first months of 2023, and the Middle East is not only leading that global rebound, but has also become the only region to exceed 2019 arrivals. Travel Agent Central reports that Brazil will again require travelers from the United States, Canada, Australia, and Japan to complete an entry visa for travel to the country. The renewed requirement will go into effect from October 1st, 2023. An article from afar says that just in time for spring surging waterfall season and to help cool off during the hot summer months, Kentucky has a new trail that connects travelers with the old growth forests, mountains, and yes, cascading falls of the bluegrass state. Found in the wildlands area, the newly established Kentucky Wildlands Waterfall Trail 
includes a curated collection of 17 of the most magnificent natural falls in this beautiful corner of the state. According to Travel Weekly, the Walt Disney World Resort on Monday introduced a summer ticket offer that enables guests to visit its four theme parks over the course of four days for $99 per person plus tax. The magic ticket could be purchased starting May 23rd. And our high note today is also from Travel Weekly. The odds are extremely high that Oceana Cruises program Oceana Cruises program will pay travel advisors commission on non-commissionable fees. I'm sorry. I don't know what I wrote here, but that will take effect in September after a six-month test run. And that's it for excess baggage. Just a reminder that all the articles we've referenced today can be found in the show notes. Please remember that we didn't write the news. We're just sharing it. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and or share the show. Also, head on over to our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are both under the Tin Lounge. We'll link them in the show notes. Have any questions, comments, or just want to say hello? Please shoot us a DM or email us at hello at thetinlounge.com. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.